AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Ghetto Boys is back and reloaded, all in your mind, yeah, now deep-throated. This is for the streets, the real, the railroaded, the disenfranchised, the truth, the scapegoated. And they know it, we speak the truth, so they quote it, cause we wrote it. The North, South, the East Coast, it's the GB knocking, we keeping your head bobbing. It ain't no stopping, and once the beat drops in, violins, the system is so corrupt, they throw the rock out their hands and then blame it on us. It's GB. Don't get it twisted, on cold and we ain't dancing for no buttermilk biscuits. It's Willie D, y'all. Scarface is in recovery, but he's here with us in spirit. Collectively, we are the Ghetto Boys, reloaded with another episode of information and instructions to help you navigate through this wild, crazy, beautiful world. In the studio... Brother Rizza Islam. Hey, am, 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 am I cool as Oh, yeah, no. Go ahead, brother. I'm, like I'm here. I'm you your good? brother. We right in. All right. Okay, go right cool. into it. Family. <laughs> Family. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead on and give you guys a warning right now. If you have sensitive ears, if you're one of those people who are easily influenced, if you go along, get along. Mm, come on. If you're a coconut, mm-hmm. get the hell up out of the building right now. Turn it off. Well, you ain't got to leave your building. Just turn this episode off. Just go somewhere. Walk out of the room. That's Come fact. back later. Brother, man, welcome to the show. Man, I'm honored. Oh, man. Thank you. Fresh, you're out here on your tour, doing your book tour now. The name of the, where's the book? Ah, uh, you know what I didn't bring, but they, they can put it up on the screen. 
Yeah, and they can do that. Yeah, it's called Message to the Millennials. Message to the Millennials. Yes, sir. I, I, I'll come back real, real mm-hmm. quick. I'll come back to the book. Yes, sir. I want to start at the beginning. Compton, California. That's where you're from. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, okay, sir. Compton. How is it for RZA growing up in Compton, California? With all of the things that happens in Compton, California, we know that there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, disparity. But there's also some good things. I know. I actually know people that are not game bangers that mm-hmm. come from Compton, California. <laughs> Everybody you know, not a game banger. I know Compton. teachers <laughs> from Compton, California. Mm-hmm. I know politicians and business people from Compton, California. Mm-hmm. Man. How is it, how was it growing up in Compton, California for you? Oh, man. I would say, first of all, I was born in 1990. Okay. So at that turning point, you know, certain riots happened in 1992, uh, May Man March 95. So there was a lot going on. But, you know, Bloods, Crips is my family. Uh, some was on drugs, some sold drugs. But I'm the youngest of 10 children. So I was the baby. And they did their best to keep me away from certain things. Certain things I still, of course, came into contact with. Um, But I will say the love was overwhelming. And I didn't know that we were, you know, like, let's say we were on food stamps. We had the the standard everything, Kool-Aid, all that. That was, it wasn't a stereotype. It was real for me. Um, But love my family, man. I mean, it was, you know, we we live in what was called, and it's still called Rich Land Farms, Compton, Mm -hmm. California. That's the part of Compton that has horses in almost every backyard. So I grew up riding horses. Okay. That's, that's another thing. Um, you know, a lot of family, a lot of love. Like I said, it was it was a normal thing to see people rolling down the street on the regular, riding bikes. We, you know, that's when we actually went outside before technology, you know, advanced. But we, you know, again, it was just a lot of family, a lot of love. And, you know, the negatives are, they didn't seem negative because I was a child. So everything was made to seem like it wasn't as bad as it really was. Um, but sirens was a regular. Um, fights was a regular, you know, were a regular. But again, love was a regular. So, you know, Mexicans grew up with them, black folks over here. And I don't know, man, I, I, I just really appreciate the upbringing that I had because it was real. And I appreciated everything that we had. Yes, we were on food stamps. Yeah, but we the love was so thick. We couldn't tell. Like it was just, it was just life, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it was humble life. Like I said, moms was raising us by herself. And it was 10 of us again, five boys, five girls. And I'm the youngest out of all of them. So life was very simple. I could just put it that way. 10 of y'all. Yes, sir. <laughs> and where do you fall? The, the youngest. I'm the last one. Oh, that's right. You used to say yes, you're sir. the youngest. 10. Damn, man, that's a lot of kids, man. Like, and especially when you start talking about where money, you know, could be a problem. Like, mm-hmm. I know for us, it was five of us. And man, when I say I don't ever remember having leftovers. Oh, yeah. Nah. I don't remember ever having <laughs> leftovers. Nah, we fought over food, brother. Yeah. We, we did that. Moms will pull up with groceries, honk the horn, hop out with her groceries, and then we go bum rush the car. And we'd all go to our different rooms with high food on the bed and stuff. And she had to come back in the house. Okay, yeah, give me give me the, the water. Give me the juice. You know, wow. it, it was funny. I remember that. Wow. I remember that, man. That's, that's back then when uh, when food stamps looked like Chinese money. Right. You had the little book of stamps. Yeah. You had the white and brown, white and orange. Yeah, man. I, I remember that. 
wow, mm-hmm. man, that's crazy. Were you raised in a religious household? I was born in the nation. You was, was born into the nation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, okay. Okay, let's let's talk about the nation. <laughs> what do you think is some of the greatest misconceptions about the nation? Uh, let's see. There's so many. Uh, I'll say one of them is that we hate white people, for example. We don't hate white people. We don't really hate anyone, to be honest. We hate wickedness and evil. Uh, we hate the system that continues to perpetuate the degradation of other human beings, period. Uh, right is right. Wrong is wrong. So that's one misconception. We don't spend our time and energy on hating somebody. We definitely, if we chose to, would have every reason to hate white folk. Absolutely. But do we? No, we don't focus our time on that. We know the history. We know the present. We know the system. And that is what we focus on is dismantling that and building up our own, separating from all the evil things, building up the things that we need for a righteous life, a righteous society. That's all. I would say that's that's one big one. You know, that uh, people try to use that. And, oh, y'all hate white people. You hate Jewish people. You hate this. You hate that. It's always this lie about we hate, 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 hate when it's simply speaking the truth. If we speak the truth about something, now it's hate. You know, we even have some black folks who say, oh, man, you hate black folks. Because I told you, put your damn pants up and stop shooting your brother. Now I hate black people. You know, like, come on, come on. It's It's just real sad. So that hate thing. I would say it's a big misconception when all we do is demonstrate pure love, even if it's tough love and it's unadulterated, unfiltered, raw truth. And if you operate along truth, you shouldn't be given no label. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what culture you are, what ethnic persuasion you are, what religion you are. If you operate and appreciate truth, then no matter who says it, no matter who spreads it, you should appreciate it and should respect it. Right. The word Muslim alone, it, invokes like rage in some people, uh, mm-hmm. fear in others. Mm-hmm. Why is that? And you know, first of all, the word Muslim means to be obedient to the creator. That's it. That's a fact. And that's as simple as most people don't even know what it means. True. But it scares the hell out of them. It's a Muslim. <laughs> oh, better run. Hide. You know, they finna blow up something. Yeah. Why is that? Well, majorly, I will say it was due to 9-11. In this generation, you know, in the last, you know, 19 to 20 years after 9-11, which that was the goal, was to target and to label and mischaracterize Islam as the new boogeyman, as a target, as the terrorist, as something that everyone should fear, while the government usurped and took power and control over the resources in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, etc. So by picking the second largest and number one fastest growing religion on the planet being Islam, which has a record of peace. However, they do have a record of self-defense, which is another major key. They use that as the cover. You already know. (laughs) And it's like, I hate when they did that because the bombing of the Twin Towers was heavily sponsored on the inside, sponsored by Americans, heavily, not all of America. But certain politicians got paid. Who do you think got paid? uh, Larry Silverstein. We'll start with him, who placed insurance on the Twin Towers. Uh, Coincidentally, within a few months of the bombing, he put in the insurance policy acts of terrorism to be covered. You know, like you have flood insurance, you have earthquake insurance. He put acts of terrorism 
any wow. insurance policy just a few months prior to the bombing. And therefore, uh, he purchased the building for a little over three billion, but it was heavily, heavily contaminated with asbestos, so much so to where it was deemed uninhabitable. So why would you allow people to inhabit that building? He purchased it, put acts of terrorism in the insurance policy. Once the building's out hit, he got a major insurance payout of over $4.2 billion. So he made over a billion on top of what he already spent as an investment initially. Uh, I mean, it, that when I say 9-11 is a major conspiracy, not theory, but conspiracy fact, it is well documented. There are over 2,300 uh, engineers and architects who have called for the reopening of the files on 9-11 because of the heavy amounts of contradictions, scientific contradictions, engineering, architectural contradictions, all of it. It made no sense. Uh, everything from the very physics itself of a building being hit and rather than exploding, it imploded straight down inside of itself in a demolition format. And Building 7, not too far from the Twin Towers, also went down the same way, but it wasn't hit by anything. So there are a lot of things that have been brought out dealing with 9-11. And again, 9-11 was used as the springboard to push this hatred toward Islam when traditionally on the planet, we know, yes, there has been some horrible things that people have done calling themselves Muslims, just like there have been some horrible things done by people who call themselves Christians. But we already know if you do things that go against the principles of your faith, you ain't that. You a devil. So there's some devils who call themselves Christians, devils who call themselves Muslims, devils who call themselves Jewish people, devils who call themselves whatever. But that ain't Islam because Islam means peace. And that was not Islam. That was something that devils do. Wow. Yes, sir. Man, where did this thirst for knowledge come from? <laughs> you know, what, I mean, you, what kind of student were you? Oh, man. You know what? That's an interesting question. I couldn't stand school. I could not stand school. I didn't get straight A's. Uh, I would say after, I don't know, man, after what, 10th grade, man, I was B's and C's. Did you, you play know? sports? I, I did play sports. Um, not in high school, actually, for the most part. Oh, you know, I played Pop, Pop Warner football. I did play that in Linwood. Which play? Wide receiver. Wide receiver. You already know. <laughs> wide receiver in corner. Yeah. You know, sometimes uh, safety. But yes, sir, did that. But in school, I couldn't stay in school. I, I, I never liked the traditional schooling, which is why, for the most part, I never had traditional schooling. Um, I was raised in African spirituality in school. I went to Winnie Mandela Children's Institute. So I was raised understanding the African principles, understanding the history of who we are as a people. All of that. I was born in the nation of Islam, so I was praying in Arabic before I knew how to pray in English. Uh, and I went to Mother uh, Sister Clara Muhammad School, and I went to MUI, known as Muhammad University of Islam, when I was younger, both in Compton, California. Then as I was being raised, I went to Winnie Mandela Children's Institute, grew through that. I loved that because that gave me the knowledge of who I am, who I was, and who we were in the history, everything that we built, all of that. So when I started going to you could say traditional schooling to a degree, I went to Opportunities for Learning, which is a charter school. When I started learning certain things in these books now, now you already know this is whitewashed fake history. It was making my brain hurt because I'm like, nah, that ain't true. Hell no, that ain't true either. The hell is this? I mean, it was contradicting the foundational principles and things that I was learning before. And you know how this is, you know, it's, it's very, this is how it is when we try to teach people the truth about, you know, let's say, the color of Jesus, Santa Claus, the tooth fairy, all that kind of things, right? If they knew this to be true, they're going to have an issue fighting, you know, to really learn the truth versus what the lie is. Well, me, I was struggling against that lie because I knew the truth. 
So it was the opposite for me. So I didn't like high school. <laughs> for the most part, I couldn't stand it because I was being indoctrinated when I used to be educated. You see what I'm saying? So it was, it was difficult. So were you challenging your teachers? A lot? Oh, hell yeah. But look, man, look, no, nah, look, <laughs> they, they couldn't stand me at times, at times, because I was like, I don't like this. I, I would just tell my teacher, I don't like this. By the time I got to college, brother, you know, first year in uh, Compton College, I, I was just like, OK, you know, you still teaching that Christopher Columbus discovered America. I mean, come on. Y'all, y'all, y'all killing me right now. This is 2000 and 2008. I'm like, what, what is this? I didn't graduate from high school, technically. That's another thing. You know, I finished my credits, you could say, in community college, Compton College. But I, I had a problem through high school up until college and into college because it was too much indoctrination. It was too many lies that I knew were not true. Why are you, what are you talking about Christopher Columbus discovered America? We know that that's not true. Why, why does everybody not know this? But this is in college they're teaching this. I'm like, no, that's not true. Wait a minute. First president was not George Washington. What are you talking about? If you want to say under the Constitution, okay, yeah, fine, you can say that. But then, okay, Articles of Confederation, there were at least six presidents prior to him before that. I mean, you know, it's like, what are you talking? There was just so much that I was like, this is what they're teaching people in this country. Well, it makes sense why we all crazy as hell. Because you're lying to everybody. White folks, black folks, everybody's being lied to and conditioned and made into zombies. I'm like, what is, this is what you, man, brother, I was, I had a very big problem in school. I can just tell you that. How, how were you able to circumvent the gang culture in Compton? Were you able to? Or? No, that's, that's what I was saying. I actually, um, it's certain things you can get around and away from. And then there are certain things you have to go through no matter what. You can try to get around it if you want to. I'll say it this way. Um, I learned how to crib walk at five. Um, I was being applauded for crib walking at five and six and seven. My, my brothers was, you know, laughing, cheering me on and, you know, my siblings and, and, and all, all of their friends. Um, I smoked weed between the age of eight and nine, maybe nine and a half is when I quit. <laughs> all that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and take a yeah, sip you, on that. Uh, well, I guess you knew where you wanted to go in life. Hey, man, like on, I'm huh? telling you, a lot of stuff I, I, I was introduced to early. Very early, man. I mean, I was introduced to, to the idea of sex around, what, seven or eight? You know, that's, that's when pornography was on VHS tapes. I was introduced that way. Uh, shoot, fighting and, you know, having my, you know, my brothers make me fight my own friends so that I could learn how to fight. All that, all this stuff before I was a preteen, before I was 11 years old. All this stuff. So the, the gang banging, really, I wasn't a gang banger because, one, I was too young, but there were certain parts of the culture that I was introduced to came in contact with slightly. You know, I like I'm, I wouldn't even lie to try to exaggerate. I only had slight touches with certain things. Um, one of my brothers taught me how to hotwire cars. First car I learned how to hotwire was my mama's car. Sorry, mom, if you're watching this. Uh, I don't know if I <laughs> told you that. Uh, <laughs> but first one, man, and then the second one. So G-Rise, we used to go on those um, uh, hubcaps. My brothers, used, they used to send me on missions. Go take the hubcaps off of this car on this house, you know, and Go take that and go hop in this window, go get that. It's just little things. You know, I, I was, I done did all that stealing all that. I, I, I got banned from a, um, the liquor store down the street off of Alondra. They put my picture up on the wall. Oh, wow. Okay, this is when I was about, I think about 10. You Compton's most wanted for me. Man, real. look, I'm telling you. Real life. <laughs> I got my little, my little baby, you know, criminal <laughs> record, you know, in the industry. But they put my face up on the wall and they said, do not let this child in here. 
I remember that because I went in there tried to steal some uh, some little juices. What was it? It was some juices, some hot Cheetos. This is before they were called flaming hot Cheetos. They were hot Cheetos and some other stuff, man. I think I tried to steal one of them pickles in the Ziploc bag. They had some of that, and I had it in the hoodie. And I tried to get out real quick, and then they stopped me, and they shook my shirt, and all this stuff came out. And they was like, get out of here, get out of here. And they put it up there, and that's when people knew who your mama was, knew who your auntie was, your, your father. If they, I mean, they knew. So they put my face up there, and I couldn't go to that store no more. Uh, man, yeah, yeah. I, I had a little, little pieces of it, but I was never like, you know, never carried a gun, you know, none of that kind of stuff. What was in you that made you not go down that route? Because it seemed like a natural transition mm. when you were already fighting and, mm -hmm. you know, like, I guess, part-time banging or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're stealing out the stores and stuff like that. I mm. mean, it seemed like a natural progression, you know, when because oftentimes, I mean, we, we are who we are by right. conditioning. Right, that's fact. You know? Mm -hmm. So if you grew up in a certain type of environment and that's what's happening in that environment, you kind of get acclimated. Very true. What made you decide that this is not going to be my life? I can tell you, to be honest, it was when my mother and I moved from Compton. My stepfather had gone to jail. My older brother had been taken to jail. Um my oldest brother was killed by one of his friends. Um, and then my oldest sister, she was on drugs. All these different things happened. So the family, piece by piece, was taken apart. And then at a certain point, it was just me and my mother. And we moved from Compton. We lived uh, with my aunt for a certain period of time. Then we lived with my mother's friend for a certain period of time in another city. And then we moved to another city. Uh, I believe it was Paramount at that time. We lived there for a number of years, and I was brought to a literacy program. It was an after-school social betterment program that she was working at, and she had me go there so that I could get help in my homework, you know, get out the environment a little bit and get some some mentorship, you could say. And again, I was that's me coming fresh up out of the environment, so I'm thinking it's cool. You know, I had a real bad cursing problem, horrible stuttering problem. So I used to be cursing at people thinking that's funny. You know, I was a little class clown. That was that was me. Now I was a little bad, loud mouth, little get that little get that nigga. I was that one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh like I don't care who you was. I'll curse you out real quick. That was me. Terrible mouth. Now, going through this program, that's what helped me. Getting help on my on my homework, my math, my reading, um, and not being in the environment like that anymore on a consistent basis. I had to progress. I had no choice because I was put around other people who were working on themselves, working on their reading, working on their homework, working on community commun uh, communication skills, all these different things. So it was being taken out of the environment. I was still in Compton, but I wasn't living there. We were living in Paramount and I was going to a program in Compton. So that's, I would say, what helped to change it and being given those tools, being given those principles and those morals, because I was in the mosque from when I was a child up until maybe six or seven. So I wasn't in the mosque after that for years after. So I wasn't around the brotherhood. I wasn't around the sisters. I wasn't, you know, around, you know, uh, the nation like that at that point. So now I'm at this program, but I'm still getting some good things, some morals and some principles, et cetera. And that is what helped me to progress until came back full circle back to the mosque and became heavily active.
So it was that kind of progress. Okay, so I get the educational progress. Mm -hmm. But how do you go from stuttering (laughs) to rapid speed speaking? Yes, sir. (laughs) You're one of the fastest in the game, man. How do you do it? Oh, man. Um, Practice. Practice, practice. When I was in that program, not only was I in the program as a student, I transitioned from being a student to a tutor, then from a tutor to an instructor. Then an instructor, I graduated. So I'm helping my people now. So now when you get to that point, and you know how it is, when it's rapping, when it's rhyming, you got to write things, you got to practice, you got to flow. It, it's a, it's a, a, an evolutionary process that you go through. That's what I had to go through in stages and degrees. So I was forced to go from learning getting up out of this way I was behaving to now learning how to control myself to then now I got to teach somebody else. Oh yeah, man. It, it, it took all of that. And it was at a young age. When, when you're speaking fast, <laughs> do you sometimes say, man, I'm going to say as many words as I can. <laughs> and I'm going to say it under one minute. You oh, you know what? That? Okay. That's funny. I started saying that when I started getting on Instagram around, I got on Instagram mid 2017, but when I noticed they only gave you 60 seconds at that time. There was no 15 minutes. There was no 10 minutes. There was none of that. It was just 60 seconds for video. And I was like, man, you know, this is after me being years of educating. I'm like, damn, how can I, how can I educate people on a topic in one minute? I, mean, I was like, how y'all going to give people one minute to do this? I was like, ah, all right, I'm going to see how I can do this real quick. And I was used to talking fast, et cetera. So I said, let me go ahead and pack as many words, just like you said. That's when I started getting to that point. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, right. sir. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. 
It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You grew up in the nation. Mm -hmm. So at some point, somebody put a claim out there about you being associated with the Church of Scientology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Oh, yeah, because I studied in my progress because going from the nation, I went into, now this is where my godfather comes in, Christian church, Baptist minister. So I'm going from learning about the Quran, praying in Arabic five times a day. Now I'm in the Christian church, true faith Christian sentence. So Baptist minister. So I'm studying the Bible and all of that. And then through that, the learning skills, there's something called study technology. That is in, I mean, that was in, tons of schools all across the country. And it was teaching me the barriers to study, learning how to look up words, learning how to not skip over things before going in certain levels. You have to go step by step. Don't skip things because there's a lot of things you'll miss and then you won't be able to understand what is on the next step. So you have to go back where you were doing well and then continue from there. Then the other part of it is having an idea of the real thing rather than just talking. A lot of people just talk and use words, but a lot of times people can't conceptualize what you're talking about. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it sounds like. What are you talking about? So you have to give them a real life example, a picture, a video, something, or go show it to them. This is what I'm talking about. So then now they have it in their mind. Now it's not blank. Okay, I got it. These are different components of study skills. Those study skills is called the study technology. That was written by L. Ron Hubbard. Okay, that's not religious, but that is something that I was introduced to. That helped me tremendously when it came to me learning and studying. Again, that was in, that's, it's in schools all over the world. So that's that. And then in my growth in the Christian church, Baptist minister church with my father, I'm studying that. And then I'm, le- I'm learning other things. So now I'm learning Islam. So I have that as a foundation. Christianity as well. Then I'm learning other things. I have family who are Buddhist. So I'm learning some of that. <laughs> I have family who went into the Catholic church. I found that interesting. Okay, I'm learning some of that. So my thirst, as you asked earlier, when did you get this thirst for knowledge? It is when I started to progress in looking at how to study and seeing the results of learning how to study properly. My memory increased, my ability to not regurgitate, but to apply the information and to spit it out in a way where it makes perfect sense and connect things. And I was really impressed but very thankful. So I said, I need to gain more knowledge. I'm not going to put a cap on my knowledge here. 
So whatever I want to study, that's what I'm going to study. So I'm learning these different things. Then I had some friends who were like, oh, yeah, man, I study Scientology. I'm like, what the hell is Scientology? That's, is that, that's a religion of science? Is that what that is? He's like, no, that, that would be scienceology. No, Scientology means the study of knowledge or the study of knowing how to know. I was like, okay, that's sounds like something I want to know. I mean, bro, that's, that's dope. <laughs> I'm like, wait, let me just check it out. And again, there's a lot of stigmas around this because most people don't know what the hell it is. But I wanted to know, okay, what is that? So again, you have Islam, Christianity. Again, I'm learning some Buddhism, some Catholicism. Okay, now here's Scientology. So again, you got problem. People are gonna have problems with any one of these. There's all, there's somebody who's gonna hate one or all. Fine. So now I'm studying that. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm learning this. Oh, okay. I, okay, that came from this. That came from black folks. Oh yeah, okay. I read that in Islam. Oh yeah, I studied that in Christianity. These are these are things I'm thinking about and saying in my mind when I'm reading some of these books that L. Ron Hubbard wrote. I'm like, oh, I can connect that with other areas of knowledge because I learned that here. Oh, yeah, that comes from African spirituality. Oh, that comes from ancient comedic science. I mean, I'm, I'm able to connect all this. So that was on my own years before people even heard about that. I mean, I, I started learning about Scientology, man, when I was like 16, 15, 16. So this is long before people even started going crazy about it. Then after that, again, now it's full circle and I'm back in the nation. And now I'm heavily active. So I have been studying different religious philosophies, different sciences, different everything. So that's why when people meet me, they'll be like, how do you know all this? Blah? Because I'm first of all, I'm not afraid to learn. That's the other problem that a lot of people have. You're afraid to learn because of what people will think of you. That's one. Or because you feel it's going to shake the foundation of what you feel you already know. You're not certain about who you are. And because of that, you think I'm going to learn something and it's going to destroy my foundation. Am I not black? Am I, I'm a black man from Compton, bro. I'm the youngest of 10 children. Ain't nothing going to change that. I'm a Muslim in the nation of Islam. Nothing going to change that. There's complementary knowledge that I can gain. And not only that, but my people are in all of these areas. So in order for me to access a good conversation with them, I need to know the language you speak in. I have to. Because if I'm coming to a Christian with a Quran, he's going to look at me like I'm crazy because he don't know that language. He knows the Bible. Well, I got to learn the Bible. If you're a black man, you study in Scientology, I need to learn that language. I got to know it. Now, you can disagree. Y'all can say, oh, Reese, do you know about that? No, nah, I think I know a lot more about it than you. I actually do. So it's like you can say whatever because of what you think you heard from somebody else. But you're talking to somebody who has studied it personally for years. So again... It's a different level of maturity when you're able to access higher levels of knowledge in other areas, connect things, and then be able to bring human beings together because you know the languages. That's a, it's a different level. Minister Farrakhan teaches us that the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said that we should seek knowledge even if we have to go to far off China. doesn't mean you have to become Chinese. And I have been to China, and I'm not Chinese. <laughs> but I went there, and I learned things. But some people are afraid, brother, because they are not certain about the knowledge they got and they think it's going to change them. If anything, it will evolve you if you're mature enough to accept it like that. But I can learn all these things and still have my foundation and be comfortable in, you know, my skin and who I am. I know who I am, you know, so it's, it's just uh, that's how that whole thing progressed and how it grew. Ghetto Boys had a song called Point of No Return that we put out back in 1996. Mm. In Scarface's verse, he said, I'm going through the same shit that my daddy went through when he was 22. Now, who's the fuck to blame for the condition that we're in? 
Mm. How is it that we are going through the same thing that our daddies went through when they were 22? In 2021, mm-hmm. we're going through the same, we're fighting the same battles that our predecessors fought. How is that and how do we break that cycle? Very good question. First thing is, there are a number of factors, including location, lack of knowledge, lack of self-love, lack of knowing who the devil is, lack of knowing who God is, and lack of knowing what needs to be done in the time that we're currently living in. So first of all, we're at war. If you don't know that you are currently in a war, you will not act like it and you will not respond like it. Most of our people are asleep on the ground with a pillow and there's bombs going off all around you and you don't realize it. One, you have to be brought back to the knowledge of who you are, number one. They'll go into different things. I'm a Moor, I'm a Hebrew Israelite, I'm a Muslim, I'm a this, I'm a that. Okay, cool, got it. Different names, same folk. Point number one. (laughs) So got it, we got all those. Great, that's one. Number two, unite, pool your resources, come together and do something for yourself. There is no excuse. We can't continue to rely on the same people, the same group, the same government to do for us what we fail to come together to do for ourselves. Until you do for yourself, as the most honorable Elijah Muhammad says, do for self or suffer the consequences. We keep going through the same damn thing because we fail to do that one thing that will prevent us from going through the same experiences, which is doing for self. You don't want to do nothing for your damn self? Okay, you're going to keep getting shot down. You're going to keep being discriminated against. You're going to keep complaining. You're going to keep picketing, rallying, doing all that. You're going to keep crying, all that. Why? Because you're not doing nothing for your damn self. I'm not going to keep blaming a white man, bro. I'm a little past that now. Yes, the system does exist. Don't ever get it twisted. It is there, and it is put in place to perpetuate its own survival. I get that, but I need to put something in place to perpetuate my survival. And it does not mean that it needs to come at the degradation of someone else. No, no, no. I need to put something in place for me so that my people can make it through. That's why you don't see me arguing with all these. I'm not, I don't give a damn about nothing you got to say. My people have to do something for ourselves or we will continue to go through this. If you are unwilling to stand up and build your own economic base, build your own agricultural base in farming, grab up the land, create business, connect with people overseas so that you can enter into international trade and commerce. If you don't want to handle your own money, if you don't want to create a level of self-defense for your people, then guess what? You're going to keep going through this forever. It's going to keep happening until they kill us all off. It's just that simple. You willing to do something for yourself? Yeah? Okay, cool. Let's get busy. Other than that, you can, okay, you can go be with everybody else like they doing. They do they do their thing. But we actually want to be a little more proactive, get up and take responsibility for ourselves. That's it. All of the leaders that we have ever had have said the same things in different ways. Get up and build. Up, you mighty nation, you can accomplish what you will. Marcus Garvey said that. The Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said that. The Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad and Mr. Farrakhan said, it's nation time. You must build a nation for yourself. Do for self or suffer the consequences. Uh, stop complaining about the white man and build your own. We could take all of them from the Panthers all the way back up, all the way down. Nation of Islam, the Garvey movement. You can name it. Do for self. The hell you complaining about? Yeah, he white. You black. But you killing your people just like he killing your people. Okay, now what? 
See, this is sobering talk now. Now it's like, okay, cool. I can keep pointing at him all day long. Okay, yeah, he started it. Great. Now you finishing it. So you ready to end this now? Because I'm, I'm done, you know, with the, with the crying and the complaining, brother. It's time for us to do something for ourselves. I subscribe to the same notion, man. It's like, hey, man, I, mean, it's, I, I subscribe to the same philosophy that it's cool to complain. I mean, you can complain, but after you sure. complain, do something about it. Come on. <laughs> See, I can't just complain because I got to do something. If I'm complaining about something, mm -hmm. there's just something inside of me that's going to make me do something about it. That's right. If I'm complaining about it, it, it it's worrying me. So I got to do something about it. You mentioned acquiring land. Mm -hmm. Recently, the governor of California returned some land to uh, a black family mm -hmm. by the name of Bruce mm -hmm. who had their land taken from them by the state of California through eminent domain. Mm -hmm. So that land is was returned, and they say that that land is valued at about $74 million right now. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Boy, they better get some protection ASAP. <laughs> that's, that's the main thing. First thing they want to do is set up protection, set up insurance. Uh, and they want to set up a way for them to contract with other black people. So that they can maximize that space. That is a beach front. It's a beach yeah, set of land. Bruce's beach. Bruce's right. beach. So now it's like, ooh, okay, now that's the water. Now you're dealing with maritime admiralty law. Now you're dealing with the law of the water. So you can enter into international trade and commerce. You can set up ports. You can now you can make some big connections now to where you don't need certain people for food or certain people for technology and things like that. So they should connect with our brothers and sisters who are overseas in Africa and our indigenous brothers in different parts of the world to see what resources they have that they can exchange with and build together on while at the same time contracting with brothers and sisters who are local with businesses and different companies so that they can bring them onto that beach area, build up the wood areas, the boardwalks, et cetera, put their different shops and businesses, et cetera, there so that we can really make it uh, an economic base. Not just, a, oh, this is a nice beach for us to come to. Yeah, keep keep a large chunk of it as just the beach, but then have a side of it that is the economic base to build. Because now, I mean, that's a very, that that is prime real estate, brother. That's major. That's why people who own beaches, they protect them heavily because there's so much you can do with that. So I would just say they need to have a level of protection, insurance, business connections with brothers and sisters, and then also international trade and commerce connections. Because now that's a whole nother level. But that's that's also a level that we need because after so long, now he gave that back, which uh, which is a beautiful thing. Very beautiful thing. But make no mistake about it. The system ain't happy about that. Uh, because if they were happy about it, they would have given it back. They would have never taken it. There you go. So we got to be careful. We have a lot of black people who are getting on board with purchasing property. Mm -hmm. They're getting land. Mm-hmm. How do they assure themselves that they don't fall victim to eminent domain? Because mm. that's one of the things that I'm, I'm myself, I'm taking some steps. I'm, I'm talking about acres and acres and acres. I'm talking about like whole town type shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they have these ways, you know, like they use the law to steal the land mm -hmm. from the family. Mm -hmm. And they use the land 
to mm-hmm. give the land. I mean, they use the law to return the land. Mm-hmm. Anytime they want to do something wicked, they just go in and make it a law. That's right. And then the so-called good people of society just go, well, that's the law. Ain't nothing I can do about it. <laughs> so how, in your opinion, what could black people who are acquiring land for the first time, what can they do to protect themselves from being victims, of falling victim to eminent domain? Absolutely. I said the first and, thing And explain is, eminent domain. Well, eminent domain definitely is when they use the law to say, well, this is a property that is vacant. It's something that was previously owned by this person, or this is an area that we feel can be repurposed for something else that it is not being utilized for now. So mm-hmm. we're going to go ahead and just take it. In that case, it was a park. Right public area or right. this, and it's not being utilized for, you know, it's true purpose of benefit and the city can use it and we require it for this and that. So it, it's a way of justifying taking something uh, with fancy words, you know, and oh yeah, well, this, we can do this and do that in a way where you're making it seem as though you're repurposing it for the greater good. When it's, if it belongs to you, belongs to you. If I choose to build something or not do a damn thing with it ever, that's my land. And that's how it should be respected, right? Unless you're doing something that's horrifically illegal, sex trafficking, all that. Okay, now, now, come on. That's just different. But we should learn the law of the land. Number one, if you don't have the time to learn it, but you got the money to buy it, then get lawyers. We need to make sure we have the knowledge of the law or hire those that do know the knowledge and have the knowledge of the law. We got to get away from this thinking that just because, oh, we got the paperwork, that is ours. Now, tell that to the natives. They done signed how many treaties with them? Hundreds of treaties, potentially thousands, but hundreds of, no, 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 no. Just because it's on a piece of paper doesn't mean they are going to abide by it. No, no, no. You need to have it on a piece of paper, but then have the knowledge on how to activate what's on that paper. The knowledge that they got in their ability to say, this is the law. Oh, wait a minute. Did you read the clause here? Subsection five dash a point one two eight. You know, of the statute of this, man, you, we got to have people who some bad brothers and sisters in that area because we have to be protected against a system that was designed to make sure it removes protection from us. They don't play fair. They don't give a damn about the law. That's why they do things that are immoral and unethical and they justify it under the veil of legality. Slavery was legal. Being able to beat your slave was legal. Beat a black woman was legal. Rape your slave was legal. All that was legal. So let's just make it very clear again, as Brother Dick Gregory said, you know, our, our beloved ancestor now, he said, remember, slavery was legal. So just because it was legal doesn't mean it was right. So we have to know the law or hire those that do know the law and make sure that we train those around us to consistently learn the law. Commerce, common law, law of the land, law of uh, insurance law, uh, um, any, any law dealing with um, real estate, anything of that nature. We have to know the laws. I mean, like really, brother, that's a very critical, I'm talking to myself too. I have to get, I have to brush up a whole lot more on law because that is a very critical part, as you said, of how they've been able to do what they've done and continue to do it because they say it's the law. It's a cold game, man. But as we start learning the law, then they, they get nervous, you know, but we have to have an army of lawyers, not just a few, because you know how they do that too. They don't play fair. They like the mafia, but they'll go in there and take them out. What happened to Brother Jeffrey, huh? No, we need thousands of lawyers. Yeah, I think we need a hit squad, too. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. 
I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts anyway fam <laughs> let's talk about lebron james Oh man, see, oh that's that was a nice switch. All right, yeah. I give Le- you that. <laughs> LeBron James, about a year ago, stated that he would, he and his family would discuss the shot in private, what they were gonna do with that. Right, very smart. Fast forward to NBA. What is it? Uh, they had some type of. Uh, uh, what is it like media thing, right. media day, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Prior to the start of the season. So LeBron reveals that he and his family indeed did take the shot, mm-hmm. but 
He would not advocate for others to take it, and he would not, and he would respect the decision for others to take it or not. That was also responsible for him. Mm -hmm. He came under intense scrutiny for that statement, mm -hmm. which is uh, ironic because I remember about a year ago, there was an uncivilized mutt commentator on TV mm -hmm. who told LeBron shut to up shut and up and dribble, and dribble Come on. when he made a statement regarding a social political issue. Mm -hmm. So now he's criticized when he says, hey, I don't, you know, that's up to each individual. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm doing what's best for me and my family and I respect the rights of others to do the same for theirs. Mm -hmm. So you're damned if you do, damned you're damned if you, if you don't agree with them. Facts, yes. <laughs> okay? Facts. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I think you just expressed them beautifully, brother. Uh, but if I would add on to anything you said, first thing is you are supposed to be a slave when you go into a contract in sports. That is what you're supposed to be. Now, and I mean no disrespect to anyone who's in the NBA, NFL, and AHL, uh, et cetera, but, but let's make this very clear. You're entering into a business agreement, but it's a modern-day plantation, as Minister Farrakhan says, and you find this out once you start to speak up outside of just shutting up and dribbling. The moment you start making comments on politics, on religion, on social issues, is the moment you have become more than a sports player. You have become an influential part of society. You're stepping out and doing what you really should be doing, which is using your platform to inspire a level of thought, inspire a level of integrity, inspire a level of questioning the negatives that have become the norms in society. For this black man, and it's because he reached such a plateau, such a level, to where anything he says, they watching him. They listening real close because they don't want him to shake up the plantation too much. They don't want him to inspire nobody. They don't want him to wake up. No other slaves. Okay, now, be, okay, now, okay, now LeBron, now listen, we, we, got to, we, we gave you all this money now. We had a deal. Okay? You're not gonna, none of that up in the Negro stuff. That's what they're trying to say. Nah, Go right. on about your business with all that old up north talk. Man, come on, right. Just, just, just keep, just keep, you know, just keep, keep it, keep it solid. Keep it on the court. When he opened his mouth and he said, I think, like you said, about a year ago, and I put that video up, hey, man, you know, any of that is going to be discussed in private because that's a medical decision. That is private. That is absolutely private. That was the most responsible thing that he could have ever said. That's private. I'm not about to discuss that. And guess what? It ain't nobody's damn business. My medical decision, now you're trying to make it political because you're trying to use my statement to inspire everyone and to use that as a soundbite to put on social media and mainstream media as a way to promote your agenda. You're politicizing my personal belief and decision. What you doing? Hold on. So you're doing the very thing you're telling me not to do. You're making it political. You're speaking on social issues and all that, but you're using me to push your agenda. So when it's your agenda, it's all good. But when it's my personal decision, oh, Oh, it's not good if it goes against your agenda. So now, fast forward to recently, he gets the shot. I have no doubt it was under coercion or, I would say, heavy indoctrination where the pharmaceutical reps are hired. They go to these people. They go to 
NBA players and all that. They bring out a load, hundreds of papers, skewed statistics, lies and lies and lies, fake science. Um, I would say large amounts of omitted science and data because on one side you have scientists who are for it and you have a large percentage on the opposite side that are completely against it, almost the same amount, if not more, and higher qualified, I might add, who are ripping apart this thing so you don't have them go to see him. He's controlled. Here, here's, here's what's <laughs> funny about that. Come right? on. When doctors say, hey, you need to take a shot, you have many people who are advocates who will say, man, the doctors are saying you need to take the shot. Hey, you know, you don't know more than what the doctors know. But then other doctors say, don't take it. Ooh, it's dangerous. Come on. And they say, well, those that, are fake that guy is not really credited. Yeah, they, he's, he's not, not a credible credited. doctor. Yeah, he's not really, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so which is it? And then you have the situation with the women of The View. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. who, who went after LeBron. Mm -hmm. It was one of the few times that I saw all five women agree. Mm. Like they normally, because they have them on the show. Mm -hmm. They have these women from different backgrounds, mm -hmm. different ethnicities. Very diverse for uh, reasons. Yeah, yes. it's very diverse. So mm -hmm. you can have these, a diverse opinion. Mm -hmm. Of course. You know, you can mm -hmm. have these diverse opinions. Mm -hmm. I've seen many clips. I don't watch the show, but I, I see the highlights and stuff mm -hmm. oftentimes. And I see these clips, and I've never seen all of the women agree to one thing. Interesting. But boy, they came for LeBron, and all five <laughs> of them was like, you didn't take that shot. You, oh, you're being man. irresponsible. You mm -hmm. have a platform, and you know you don't get to just do or say whatever you want to say. You're mm -hmm. a platform. So it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we don't care about what entertainers say or the entertainers are dangerous. They're saying things that that are that are that that are bad and they're influencing people. So they're not politicians. They need to just shut up and just entertain. Come on. But now with this shot thing, it's like you need to speak up, LeBron. Ooh, you need to man. speak on this. You need to tell those people, tell the niggas, I mean the Negroes, <laughs> that they need to take that shot. Think about you know, that. Use your platform to do that. Mm -hmm. And LeBron says, no, hold on. Let me just pause for a minute and do this for LeBron James. That's a definite. Say, man, <laughs> let me tell you something that I know for a fact. Mm -hmm. When mainstream goes against you, you're doing something right. That's a fact. Come on. You take the M off of masses, what you got? Hmm. A bunch of asses. Come on. <laughs> and this is what this is why we're we're so messed up right now. Mm -hmm. Because they are controlling the narrative, and you have all of these people who are just getting in line mm -hmm. and and marching, taking marching orders like robots. Mm -hmm. And if you question is something wrong with you. Come on. If you question, if you buck, if you say, I'm sticking to my convictions, my convictions don't change with the times. Mm -hmm. You know, my convictions are what they are until I mm -hmm. say that they're different and let, until I have a different understanding and I say, okay, mm -hmm. this is what I now believe. Not when you say it. Right. But that's what we are in this society. Absolutely. Just like, Something is wrong with RZA. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, that guy, he's against, wait a minute, he's going against us. It's something, they put you in some type of criminal group. You're right. What, what, <laughs> no, they call, call what do they call it? The disinformation dozen. The disinformation dozen. Straight from the White House. Wow. <laughs> Man, you got to watch your back, bro. When they put any time, you get on the government's radar for being against their mm -hmm. narrative or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whatever that position is, you got you got to really step it up, you know. Absolutely. Are you taking any additional <laughs> like steps, you know, to take care of yourself, make sure that mm -hmm. you know if something go down, you know, you're prepared? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a definite. I yeah. mean, this is this is what it is. Not only training and exercising, but of course, what you eat, how you eat, uh, watch who brings you your food, where you eat from, how frequently. Um, you know, watching what you say, how you say it, make sure what, you, what you're saying is factual, you're on point. And then also being careful of who you have around you and the areas you go into, what time. It's all military science because you have to know the enemy you're dealing with. It's very simple. So I don't live in fear because, again, you know, we fear nothing and no one but Allah God. So if God wants me gone, then I'll be gone. I'm cool with that. But I'm still here. So clearly he has me here for a purpose. But when the White House puts you on a list of something, in the hood, that's a badge of honor, as you already know. <laughs> you already know. That is a badge of honor because that house was never for us to begin with outside of the fact that we built it physically. But outside of that, it was never for our benefit. So, I mean, they, they didn't do nothing but give me, I don't know, like the Super Bowl for consciousness, the Super Bowl for revolutionaries. They just gave me my ring, I guess. And so <laughs> that's how I looked at it. You know, but I'm not foolish, to be very clear. I'm not foolish about how they operate, what they do. The avenues they use, they use technology, you know, they use air, they use, you know, demographics. They, they, they're very wickedly wise. So you have to be ahead of the game, but also you have to live a righteous life to the best of your ability. That way they don't have nothing to use on you. That's another thing we have to be careful of because that means they are watching you far more now than you could ever imagine. And so I know that. But again, I'm not going to stop doing what needs to be done. I follow the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. I, I can't. I don't have the DNA of a coward, bro. It doesn't exist, like nowhere. Um, but also, I don't have the DNA of a foolish person either. So you have to be aware, but you also have to be fearless in your efforts uh, in continuing to do what is right and stand up for what is right. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm cool. I'm, I'm actually very comfortable, you know, doing what we're doing. Plus, I got the brothers, you know, and. And, you know, they're very well trained as well. And, you know, it's a it's a it's a mission. They have a machine and so do we. Right. I'm glad you said that. Yes, sir. That's important. And they need to know that. There yes, need sir. to be some get back. If something happens, you know what I'm saying? Like that should never be it's, it should never be a oh, we're going to be able to ride on this dude. And all they're going to do is take to the streets, tap some stuff and we're going to restore order. We're going to get the entertainers to go out there and say, hey, you know, uh, let's come together, brothers. Let's bring it back together. Oh, bring yeah, it on nah. in. Nah, nah, nah. It, you know, nah. And we're peaceful. I, I, I personally believe that. It, I personally believe that if somebody do something to mm -hmm. you, whoever did it, they personally need to suffer the consequences. Because, because I, I can easily just sit back and tell us, "Hey, man, you go out there and, and let them do some crash dummy stuff," mm -hmm. and then they get their head knocked off. Of, but I'm still sitting back, still calling shots. Nah, mm -hmm. partner, mm -hmm. nah. It, that's, in my opinion, <laughs> is how you switch it up. You yes, know, sir. you go after the one who who call it, who yeah. call the shot. You reap what you sow. Yeah. But no, and we're we're peaceful, but we're and, and we're not. 
we're non-aggressive, but we're not non-violent. So your brother gets down. I make right. sure I train too. Yeah, I think you have to be. Yes, sir. I don't. I, I don't. I don't believe in non-violence. No. Uh, I mean, what happens? Okay, let's say I'm non-violent, and some dude walk up to me and just slap, cold, just slap shit out of me. I'm just. No. no. <laughs> you think I'm just gonna just accept that? Mm -mm. Like I can't stop a person from doing something. I don't know what another person gonna do, mm -hmm. but I know what I'm gonna do. That's a fact. There you go. And I and I don't have that that, that coward gene either. You know, no. I don't I don't have that. I don't I don't understand it. I don't no. understand it at all. Mm -mm. Let's. We're talking about yeah, having, you know, the the fortitude basically mm -hmm. to to stand for something, stand on something. Mm-hmm. You're talking about LeBron. Let's talk about how you stand. Yes, sir. Specifically, like literally, your posture. <laughs> oh, yes. The way you stand, the way you sit. Yes, sir. It's, it's very upright. And you have a, it's a certain amount of uh, dignity that's associated mm -hmm. with you. Look at you. That's a guy that, that, that looks like he's self-assured. He's dignified. Well, you at what point did you become conscious of your posture? Hmm. <laughs> That's funny, man. A lot of people <laughs> talk about my posture. That's funny, and, I, and thank you for that. Um, I just say all, all praise due to Allah for that. Uh, when when did that I become conscious, man? Because I used to be made fun of for it. I think around sixteen years old, about sixteen, is when people started saying, "Man, why you walk like that?" And I was like, you know, why should I walk? It was it was a quote that I heard. Man, it was a, a, a old quote that I heard. And um, the quote was, we should never walk with oppression in our back. Mm. Which meaning, you know, slouching. Mm. I was like, why the hell am I going to slouch? Stand proud, upright. Shoulders back, stomach in, chest out like a soldier. When did you start practicing that? At what age? Well... Consciously, you know, I'd say in my mid twenties. Unconsciously, around when I was sixteen. Okay. I just never liked to look like I was weak or cowardly or, like you said, undignified. Like I don't know who I am. I'm, you know, I ain't got no confidence. It's like, well, I don't like how it looks. I used to watch my different friends, and I was like, why y'all walking like that, bro? Like, stand up, man. We we men, stand up. And they'd be like, yeah, all right, I got you, I got you. Because I was like, I just like, what would you, like, what, brother? Come on, man. Like, stand right. up. It was always something that irked me. <laughs> it was always something that just used to irk me. And that, that also was a part of my foundation in the nation, of course, watching the brothers, watching them how, you know, we were taught in my foundation. But again, I wasn't in the nation for a number of years, so I wasn't around like that. But that's another thing that stuck with me. I just didn't notice, to be honest with you. I really didn't notice until my mid-20s where, you know, I consciously was becoming more militant about it. I must walk like this, and then you know my my body just developed like that, you know. And uh, and yeah, I, I appreciate it, man. It doesn't mean you know I'm not cocky by any means. You know, I'm a very humble brother, so I'm not out of like, yeah, look at me. I'm not. No, nah. it's we have to represent each other. When they see me, they see black men. When they see you, they see black men. We get too stuck in this individualistic approach, thinking, oh, it's just me. No, sir, we represent all black men. What we do. They are going to say, 
all black men, y'all do this, y'all, y'all know how y'all are. It's just when we're doing positive things, they don't like to make it general too much. When it's negative, oh, it's, it's all y'all, all of y'all. So that's why, you know, I, I'm always on the collective mindset of I got to represent my brothers. Right. Yes, sir. And we love it, man. You put a video out. Well, you put a few videos out of you dancing and <laughs> telling jokes, uh, you know, cracking jokes. So just having a little fun, really. Yes, sir. Yes, you sir. Know. You're known as a serious person, most mostly you know, people think of mm -hmm. you. They think it's a serious cat. Mm -hmm. But every now and then, you know, you have a little fun and, you know, you do a little jokey joke, whatever. Absolutely. How often do people see you in that element where you're being relaxed and they say, man, with all this stuff going on, you posting videos like that. <laughs> How often do you get that? You know, when you, you, you trying to just have fun, you know, you got mm -hmm. these people that want you to be serious 24 hours a day. They mm -hmm. like, you know, <laughs> even when you're eating, man, why, why, right. why, why, why are you looking pleasant? Why you, right. <laughs> why you got a smile That's on your funny. face, man? All those things actually all happen. This, That's all all these things going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Why are you dancing? Oh, man. You know what? I, I have received a few calls before early on, you know, when I would show that side and all that. And I would just tell them, I am serious about 99.9998% of the time. And even when I'm dancing, having fun, I'm still on alert. Don't get it twisted. I could be on the floor dancing all that. Some dude try to walk up, bop, 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 bop. And then, we, you know, now I'm going back to dance. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So I'm a soldier in everything I do. But we got to be balanced out here, bro. I mean, that's something I learned watching our legends, my celebrities are our scholars. My celebrities are the hip hop legends who stand up like yourself, who speak up against the system that goes against us. My celebrities are the ones who have paved the way for us to have a access to freedom, access to knowledge, access to wealth, access to doing something for ourselves. So I've watched how they were serious and then also watched them use their gifts to have balance. Minister Farrakhan plays violin. He sings. He loves to dance. He is one of the funniest, bro. Listen, you don't want to get into no roasting competition with the minister. <laughs> He'll hit you with a smooth one that it'll hit you so hard. You'll be like, man, I don't even want to say nothing else, man. He just hit me. He hit my heart with that one, man. I'm like, God dang. Hey, dude, how do, how do you know that? Right? So but how, how, <laughs> is a, how is a roasting session? Oh, man with the minister even fair because if you say exactly. the wrong thing man look you got the brothers on like man we was roasting no nah, brother you said the wrong thing yeah. like you know <laughs> which is different but i'm like no nah, man I, i'm a i'm a black man from compton brother and, and it doesn't matter where i'm from as a black man we love to laugh we love to joke i love comedy i love comedy i was the jokester in the class i won an award in middle school for having the loudest mouth and making the most jokes. I got a certificate for that. Like, it's on paper. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. So I, I love to have balance. Plus, our people need to see you can be serious and have fun. For real. You ain't got to just be all day, all night. Because in reality, we can't live like that. We have gifts. We got talents. We got rhythm. You know, plus, you know, some of your people can be drawn more into being more serious if they see that you got some fun in you. But if you serious all day, all night, then they don't even think it's possible for them to do nothing seriously. Like, bro, that mean I got to be all serious all the time forever and I can't have no fun? Oh, I can't. Come on. Now you're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill yourself. That's a fact. 
You're going to drive yourself crazy. This world has so much negative, but it also has so much beauty. You have to have both. We are balanced. We have to understand the balance. We have to do things at a proper time. That's the one major key that I make sure to, to operate under. Don't be doing too much playing when it's in a serious moment. And don't be so serious when it's a playful moment. You with your family, y'all eating. It's cool. You with your family. You ain't got to be, man, why you eating like that? You supposed to be doing oh, Come on, man. I got family that's that smoke and drink. Now, you know, goddamn, what? come on. Like, come on, man. Like, I, they do that more to themselves when I'm around them. I don't be like that. I'm casual. They eat and they drink whatever. We family. We family. You're supposed to be an example. The Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, you do not condemn the dirty glass. You simply put a clean glass up next to it. Just be the example. I ain't got to be out here condemning you, man. You smoking and drinking like I didn't smoke and drink. I told you that. Now, before I was 10 years old, I did all that. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Why am I going to condemn my sister, my brother? Just be an example for them, man. Love them where they are. Help them to understand they can progress out of it. But be an example for them. I ain't got to be judging you all day, bro. Come on. You want to work out? Come on, let's, let's do that. You want to exercise? You trying to learn something? I got you. And they will evolve themselves. But we have to have enough love and patience, you know, to to help them with that. We had a doctor on the show recently who said young people who take Viagra are catching COVID. Oh, hold on. <laughs> oh, I done heard some. Okay, go ahead, brother. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Wait a minute, hold on. Wait, wait. Out of all the things you can catch, by taking Viagra, and for the purpose of taking Viagra, you're going to say, I'm catching COVID. I didn't catch nothing else. Okay, hold and on. And he said young people specifically. He said young oh. people are taking Viagra and catching COVID. You know what? See, I admire the blatant, obvious agenda that's being pushed. You're going to target young people, first of all, which, by the way, according to the CDC, have the least likelihood of catching it and the higher survival percentage, over 99.7%, just so, just so we can be clear. And you say, you connect Viagra to it, another pharmaceutical. And you say, they're taking Viagra, which is so, so are you saying the COVID is coming from the Viagra? Because Viagra does weaken the immune system to a degree. So let's make this very clear. Taking that helps to lessen the strength of your immune system, which means you can catch anything for the majority that attacks or latches on any virus, et cetera, airborne, from food, et cetera. So your likelihood of catching virtually any virus is higher from taking uh, Viagra. Okay, okay. So, so he's so, not completely wrong in that. Well, not completely, but also uh, you didn't say that about- misleading. It, 100, I would say 97% misleading mm -hmm. because that's also feeding into the agenda. You didn't say, oh, well, you know, it's weakening your, your immune system. So they're catching, they're getting sicker faster. Because you're saying, oh, well, just COVID? How long has Viagra been out? See, let's, let's stop playing this game. So why did you say that a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? And I'm not saying just on this show. They were not saying nothing about no damn Viagra helping people to catch COVID or helping people to catch this virus or that virus and all that. Now, all of a sudden, when it's this one, which is a highly profitable pandemic, highly profitable. Oh, now you're saying oh, it's helping them to catch COVID. So what are you saying indirectly? You need to take this. You got to get your shot. You got to get... Stop it. Stop it. We're not stupid. All right. Now, this, is the, this is the sad part. So what you're telling is all the young folk who are having a lot of sex, go get your shot. That's what you're telling them. But the CDC contradicts that by saying, first of all, we have the strongest immunity. That's number one. Secondly, we have the highest survival rate out of anyone on the planet outside of children of surviving 
COVID. So what is the purpose of me taking the shot again? Well, you take a Viagra. Okay. The hell does that have to do with COVID? Well, well, no, stop it. <laughs> Just stop, stop the game. Because then you would have to also say, well, actually, it's because it's lessening your immune system or lowering it. So you're actually more susceptible to catching this virus, that virus is right. Okay, so say that. Be well-rounded and balanced and truthful, not pushing an agenda of propaganda and this pseudo, heavily pharmaceutically sponsored narrative to promote shots, because that's what the hell you're doing. We know what it feels like to be pimped, Brother Willie D, and how to be played. We know exactly how that feels, and you playing us, and you're trying to pimp us to push an agenda for your pharmaceutical pimp daddy. And that's that's really what's going on here. I can't believe, man, don't, what's the doctor's name? You just say it so everybody can go. Like, you ain't got to say it now because, man, I, I'm end up doing the video on this. Go ahead, bro. You, you, done, you done gave me some momentum. Put this in my notes right now. Viagra catching COVID. Boy. It's, <laughs> yes, sir. Your thoughts on the NBA player who caved, Wiggins. He just, oh. he just caved yesterday. Golden yeah. State Warriors. Player, I mean, he was adamant. I'm not yeah. taking the shot. I'm not taking. I'm he not taking. Strong. They put all kind of pressure on him. Yeah, they put that pressure on him. A full press. Yeah, he did. And he caved. Yeah, he was strong. I'll say this: we can't judge our brother because we don't know his reality. We don't know his reality. This is another thing. Some of us are far more aggressive than we are militant. There is a difference. There's a difference. When you're militant, that means you have a level of discipline, wisdom, and awareness. There's a certain level of knowledge you operate under. When you're just aggressive, that means you just be attacking stuff. Oh, he took the shot. He a sellout. He it is. Hold on, bro. Hold on. You don't live his life. You don't know him. You don't know his family. You don't know nothing about him personally. You know what you get off of social media, and all, but you don't know this, bro. You don't know who came to him. You don't know what they said to him. You don't know what ultimatums they gave him. You don't know. And that's the thing that we have to consider is some of these brothers are not only put under the pressure that you see, they're put under a level of pressure personally where they got people showing up at their house. They got doctors and lawyers coming at them, their managers, their, their whole team, their sports therapists, their, the, the people they sign other contracts with. They got their brand companies, their contracts being held up. Hey, you don't take the shot. We taking this endorsement away, taking that endorsement away. And they pay for a $10 million house, $20 million house. They done paid for all these college, scholars, all this stuff for college. They done paid for this car and that and paid all this. You, their money is stretched. So now they're like, man, I'm, I'm putting all this in jeopardy because I'm standing on principle. So what do I do? It's a real reality that we have to consider and understand. Yes, some of us, have the ability to stand on it regardless to whom or what. Brother Reza Islam will not be taking that shot. I don't give a damn what you say. It doesn't matter what you offer me. It doesn't matter what you threaten me with. You can go to the hottest part of hell, say whatever you want, but I'm not taking it because I know the truth about it. Now, I also don't have your reality. And even, even if I did, <laughs> I would do any and everything to fulfill my obligations without compromising my integrity, but everyone ain't built like that. A lot of us don't have the proper knowledge with which, with which to access the certain resources to adjust and have a plan A, plan B, plan C. We have to consider what some of these brothers and sisters really go through 
because they, they don't have everything that they need. And they damn sure don't have the proper people around them to educate them. And that's the main thing. People like us are strategically kept away from them. Strategically kept away from them. I have certain people who got calls before I did the interviews with them being called by their colleagues telling them not to don't interview do me. Don't do I'm it. not going to look. I'm not going to say them that. <laughs> look at you. You want me to say what I'm going to say it right now. They already know not to call me. Oh, but you see, see what I'm they, saying? They know certain people don't even try. That's what I'm saying. But that's what this is. This is the reality of what they're dealing with. So before everybody goes out there and just starts going off on the brother and all that, just know he has a different reality. I'm glad you said that, man. Yes, I'm sir. glad. I'm glad you added that context. Uh, yes, sir. That's very, very important because, you know, some guys they can hold off on the money and all this stuff because, yes. from what I understand, the dude is set already mm -hmm. with money. So some some dudes can say, you know, I don't care about the money. Some can just walk away from the money. True. But when they start threatening your family, yes. And they do. You have to really think about that, especially if you're not built that way. You're not built for combat in that regard. Yes. You know, like some of us know, okay, you, you want to mess with my family? Okay, I'm going to put my family over here. Come on. And now I'm going to go get you. I'm, I'm, I'm about to deal with you. Mm -hmm. See, I'm tired. I'm going to deal with you and your family. You see what I'm saying? Like, you're not finna play with me like that. You know, like, come on. <laughs> be very, very careful, you know, because, hey, man, when you take the boxing gloves off, man, mm -hmm. you know, I can do that too. Mm -hmm. Man. That's a fact. This has been a very <laughs> insightful conversation. Yes, sir. Very insightful conversation, man. Let's talk about the book a little bit more, just a little bit more. Absolutely. What's inside the book? What can people expect mm -hmm. when they go out and purchase your book? And give us the title again. Yes, sir. It's called Message to the Millennials. And I spell it a particular way because some people thought, oh, man, he misspelled it. No, no, I spelled it that way on purpose because a millennial is more than just our demographic of those born between the 1980s and the early 2000s. It's much more than that. But in the book... I go over different things, for example, the origin of social media and what the turning point was that spawned the creation of social media. Why did they do that? And then how did it come after 9-11? What were the social media platforms long before Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all that? What years did they come out? How many users did they have? What part of the government is primarily behind it? And what is the purpose of that? When it comes to data collection, when it comes to spying on us in a way where we would accept it, why do they have it directly on our phones, et cetera, et cetera, the overall purpose of that. Then I go into another chapter dealing with mind control, dealing with tell, lie, vision programming, where they program you visually by telling you lies. I go into all the corporations that are owned through television, the top six corporations. Who owns them? How much money are they making? who are behind the other corporations that we think, for example, BET. It's not black entertainment television. It's not owned by black people. You know, I go into all of the documents and the facts, and I have heavy references all throughout it. And there's pictures, colored pictures in there, because again, you have to give as much real um, visuals as possible. I go into that. I go into the college-educated versus the autodidact or the autodidactic, meaning those who have formal education versus those who are self-taught. Then I go into the whole educational thing. And then I go into mental health versus mental illness, fact versus fiction. And we delve into that heavily, dealing with that. Uh, there, there are so many chapters. And of course, the most, I would say, read about heavily, you know, reference one that people go into is chapter six 
on depopulation. And that goes into how the food, the air, the water, uh, the reproductive services, the government foreign policies are all utilized to go towards getting rid of four to five billion human beings on planet Earth, starting with black people and then ending with everyone else. So all of these different things are going to all the different government documentation. I go into all of uh, all the different apparatuses, you could say. And here's the book here. I know you have your copy, my brother. Make sure you have that. That uh, book, um, independently published, definitely self-published. I wrote it. Uh, the editor is a black woman. Um, it is available in prisons, juvenile detention centers all throughout the country. It is in multiple bookstores. And of course, we've sold, uh, oh man, I would say upwards of over 30,000 copies independently. Oh, wow. Without Amazon, without any of that. Wow. And I've employed people within my family who handle that. Uh, my product manager is a black woman. That's that's my family. My accountant is a black woman. That's my family. You know, so it's it has become a tool, not only with heavy knowledge in it, but it's also helped to, you know, spawn business. You when, know, employ black folk. When I get books, I like to just open it up and start reading yes, and sir. see if anything strikes out the gate. Mm -hmm. So... It says, so it is quite evident and obvious that everyone needs to meet their straw man. He was born around the same day as you. <laughs> That's another part. That <laughs> goes into Talk every about topic. That. that goes into the birth certificate. That goes into the corporation side of you versus the living person of who you are. Everyone has to learn about what that is. Uh, they have to learn about 1913, the Federal Reserve, they have to learn about what the birth certificate has to do with the Federal Reserve, the money, how the government invests in you as property to this day versus you as a living human being. That's a whole major topic as well. So I put that in there as well because this generation has to know about that too. They have to know something about all of this uh, because it's all affecting us as human beings. But again, I made sure to put a number of topics in there that go over certain things. The original draft of my book was roughly 300 pages long. I said, I can't put out a 300 page book and expect it to sell like that. So I had to cut it in half. Uh, but it, it delves into a number of topics. And the last one, of course, ends with solutions, unity, and us building up our own. And it gives examples of the over 60 all black towns that we had. Not just Tulsa and Rosewood, the ones that they blew up and destroyed, and that's the only ones that they promote. But we had over 60 all-black, flourishing, successful, powerful towns, and it delves into a lot of those, and it also goes into ways that we can reestablish our own. Yeah. Brother, you talked about being an example. You epitomize it. Mm. Appreciate that, my brother. We appreciate you, man. We love you. I got you back. Sir, same here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the legend for the Willie D. This guy right here. Man. This guy right here. This guy. <laughs> this episode was produced by A King and brought to you by the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 